Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As we continue to learn about the Beis HaMikdash, we're going to be kind of expanding our horizons. Today, we're not going to focus on the city of Yerushalayim because in truth, the notion or idea of a holy city in antiquity didn't necessarily refer to Yerushalayim or Tzfat. Well, for that matter, it might have included Tiberias or even Hebron. As we continue to learn about the holiness of our Beit HaMikdash, the Rambam now takes a wide lens view. Our perspective will expand to the entire land, which we call Eretz Yisrael. In our previous episode, we defined holiness in practical terms insofar as the geography of the Holy Land is concerned. Today, we'll be focusing on sanctuary cities. It's not what you're thinking. These were sacred municipalities in the time of the Beit HaMikdash. Listen in. Quite fascinating, and probably something that most of you have never heard of. In the seventh chapter of Hilchus Beis HaBechira, the Rambam continues now in Halacha Yud Gimel, in the 13th subsection. He begins by telling us that in so far as Eretz Israel is the Holy Land, there are actually Eser Kedushotein Be'eretz Yisrael. There are, so to speak, gradations, 10 grades of holiness in the land of Israel. Zvizo each is higher than the other. So we've introduced the holiness of the geography called Israel. We talked about that in our previous episode. Sacred soil provides a sacred harvest or sacred yield that can be used for the purpose of a mitzvah. The idea or concept of holiness refers to something which is designated for a holy or godly purpose. It can allow for our cultivating, nurturing and developing of a deeper relationship with God. Invariably, holiness comes along with restrictions. Just like when something is of great value, you're more careful with it. Our relationships, for example, with our spouses come along with many restrictions. Before you got married, well, you were unencumbered. You could have dated whoever you want. Once you marry, which is called Kiddushin, now you're designated specifically to your spouse. And you shouldn't, chas v'shalom, be looking elsewhere. That ideal of exclusivity or restriction also applies to the concept of sacred cities. The Rambam goes on to explain. So what would a higher level or grade of Kedusha look like? We know what the land of Israel's holiness means on a practical level. How would 
a particular area of Israel be any holier? And the answer is, it comes with certain restrictions. But first, where is this? Or how do we identify that place? The Rambam says, we refer here to Ayarot Hamukafot Choma. We're referring to cities or municipalities that are walled. The idea of a city being walled was on a very literal level, a city that afforded greater protection. Small hamlets or villages didn't have walls, and of course, its residents were always exposed to danger. Danger of bands of thieves or robbers, and perhaps, more broadly speaking, danger of attack by a foreign army. You'll remember, of course, that Yerushalayim had very strong walls. Walls that weren't easily breached. In fact, it took Nebuchadnezzar three years, and it was only by a proverbial act of God that they actually managed to break the walls down. We commemorate that at the beginning of these three weeks on Shavasar Batamas, on the 17th day of Tammuz. So walled cities afforded a higher level of protection. In a deeper sense, walled cities represented a municipality that was protected. Protected from harmful influences or the concept of ritual impurity. So people who were city dwellers were more careful about their ritual purity status and more protected. This is a very interesting idea because it isn't actually connected to a physical wall. The Rambam tells us in the laws of Shemitah V'yovel, in the 12th chapter, Halacha 15 onward, he tells us that the concept of Ayarot HaMukafot Choma this holiness or sanctuary cities because they could afford sanctuary or protection wasn't really to be understood, at least not entirely in literal terms. It refers to cities that were walled at the time when Joshua and the Jewish people first came to the land of Israel and conquered it. The Rambam says, if it was walled at the time of Yehoshua's arrival, when the Jewish people first entered the land of Israel and established the first Israelite commonwealth, even if it isn't walled now, Rambam says, it's still considered walled or consecrated. Rambam also tells us in Hilchas Shemitah Rishon, after the Jewish people were exiled, after the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash, then these walled or consecrated sacred cities also lost their status. Its holiness dissipated. The Rambam goes on to tell us that when Ezra led the Jewish people in the second coming, that's a term that used to mean the Jewish people's arrival back in the land of Israel. At that time, all of the cities that were walled were reconsecrated. Now, this is a subject of dispute. According to the Maharit and others, this means that the cities that had been walled at the time of Yehoshua that were consecrated or designated as holy cities during the time of the first Beis HaMikdash were reconsecrated 
regardless of the fact that they didn't have walls anymore. The Minchas Chinuch maintains that the Ramam should be read literally. There were new cities that had been more recently walled, and Ezra's arrival was considered as propitious and important as the first arrival of the Jewish people led by Yehoshua. And so they reconsecrated the ideal of sanctuary cities or walled cities, but they weren't necessarily the same cities. We don't really know with certainty. And during the time of the second Beis Hamikdash, there are many who dispute the concept of walled cities, practically speaking, altogether. We don't know if this actually applied in the fullest sense. We do know that according to the Rambam, Moshiach will come, walled cities will regain their sacred status. Now, does this mean the walled cities from the time of Yehoshua? Could that include cities like Tiberias or Hebron, which were ancient, ancient cities and there have been remnants of walls discovered? We don't know. We'll find out when Mashiach comes. Will it, will it refer to cities that are presently walled? Walls that were built at a much later time? Perhaps the city of Jaffa has some walls? Roman walls, mind you, or Phoenician walls, but would that make it eligible for consecration? Nobody really knows. When Mashiach will come, we'll find out which will be the Arachimah. The point is this. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, is considered holy. We defined that in the previous episode. Now we're talking about the next level of holiness, and that's called the walled city syndrome. So what happens in the walled city? Well, the Ramam tells us, the first thing is, it's mikudeshet mishar ha'aretz. It's considered more hallowed or sanctified than the rest of the land of Israel. And so, people who were deemed to be ritually impure by virtue of a paranormal skin change condition. This is really a very big subject and beyond the purview of the next few moments we have. But there was, and when Mashiach comes, will be this idea of people whose skin becomes discolored in a variety of ways, and it represents the concept of ritual impurity. In fact, the most extreme form of ritual impurity, as our sages tell us, Mitzorah Chashuv Kemet, the Mitzorah, which is the name of this person who is deemed to be having uh, this condition or carrying this ritual impurity, his ritual impurity is as pernicious, as profound, and as dangerous as the ritual impurity engendered by human remains themselves. So the Mitzorah, who is a source of ritual impurity, is going to be evicted. Because in this sacred city, everybody's observing ritual purity. People can go from the sanctuary city straight to the Beit HaMikdash. They don't have to be concerned with ritual impurity. The roads are clean. Obstacles have been removed. There are no Mitzoraim that you might encounter. And so the Mitzoraim would be sent outside of the walled city, as we are told, Badod Yeshev. The Mitzorah's punishment or consequence is to sit or be alone. You know, the Mitzorah was a person who used the powers of his speech through gossip and slander to divide rather than unite people. And so Hashem tells him, in your rehabilitative process, you will now discover the pain 
of loneliness. At any rate, the Mitzorah can live in Eretz Yisrael. He can even take up residence in the villages or small towns. But if it's an ir hamokofet choma, its holiness necessitates the eviction of the Mitzorah from the city. The Rambam goes on to tell us, in addition to this, there is another source of ritual impurity that we're really concerned with, a grave. And so, in kovrim betochan mate, we may not bury a corpse unless it was agreed upon or desirous of the council of elders. In the time of the Mishnah or in Talmudic times, the internal affairs of each city were governed not by politicians or people who could wink or figure out a way to get elected. These were people of illustrious pedigree people of great sagacity, oftentimes of tremendous piety, people who exhibited great personal sacrifice for the welfare of others and were known to be selfless public servants. Those are the kinds of people who were invariably chosen. It was a position that had with it almost religious importance because of its non-political nature. If the seven elders of the city thought it was a good idea for somebody to be buried in that city, well, then we know that there's something special about this person. We're going to learn about Yerushalayim, and we're going to hear about even this possibility precluded. But in the Arim Hamukafes Choyma, if the Shiva Tuvihoir agreed, then that person could be buried there. Who might that have been? It may have been a famous spiritual leader, a great rabbi, maybe a prophet. Perhaps an individual who had brought solace and salvation to the Jewish people through his or her life that was lived in subservience to Habshem and the nation of Israel. That's the kind of person who might be interred in such a city. And of course, when you have precious few graves, no cemeteries, then those areas can be properly designated. You can have full demarcation. And it enables people to ensure that they don't kind of stumble into the area becoming ritually impure. Ravid, a protagonist of the Rambam, severely disagrees. He says, under no circumstances can a corpse be buried in any city. He said all cities had to maintain a sense of greater ritual purity. And that's why, as a rule, historically, the cemeteries were always outside the city. It's interesting that in our city here in Toronto, the early cemeteries were actually outside of the city limits of Toronto. It's just now they're so far down south. And you can actually see how the city kept moving north by virtue of this reality of Jewish cemeteries that keep moving. And the newest Jewish cemeteries are still far north of where we live, but becoming increasingly populated because in the end, as the city pushes north, what was once beyond city limits is now becoming within the city limits. But this was the tradition. In Israel and in the diaspora, the cemeteries would always be consecrated, if possible, outside the city. And this is true even though Jewish people during the diaspora period are not able to observe the laws of ritual purity and impurity. It's kind of a hand down from the way things were. The Rambam believed that this was only prohibited or forbidden outright 
in a city which was walled. Furthermore, Rambam says, Im if a corpse was carried outside of the city for whatever reason, maybe there was a big funeral procession, maybe there was a, a eulogy, people came from far and wide, in that case, even if it was something that or all the people in the city were desirous of having this individual buried, either this extraordinary and illustrious man or woman buried in that city, once the corpse, once the remains, the coffin had been taken out, then under no circumstances do we bring the corpse back into the city for burial, even though everybody wanted to keep or have the burial take place within the city limits. This would have been like an, an honor for the city if such a great person were to be buried there. Jewish people have from time immemorial revered the resting site of righteous men and women and used it as a place for prayer and petition. And yet, the halacha remains that the holiness of the city which is walled is greater than the rest of Israel and if the coffin or body was taken out, that under no circumstances could it be returned. May Hashem help us to have the ability to talk about life, not death. And of course, when Mashiach will come, God will wipe tears off faces, and Ruach HaTumah, the spirit of ritual impurity, will be banned altogether. What will the notion, the idea or ideal of sanctuary cities look like when Mashiach comes, if there is no ritual purity? How will we define its holiness? That's a really good question. One that I hope Mashiach will answer for us soon. Bimheira will be amenu, speedily, and in our days, amen. Thanks so much for joining today.